Last week we talked about rhythms from the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, 28. And if you say, what is that? what's that about? That sounds interesting. Then that's what we have live stream. Look at it from last week. Today we're going to be talking about the priorities in this three-part, three-month series where we're talking about the stewardship of time, resource, and talent. And uh, we're talking about priorities and resource. Next week we're talking about debt. If you miss a Sunday, um, don't make it next Sunday. Uh, debt is, is kind of this culturally okay, no big deal, and I'm telling you, it's killing more people than opioids. It's killing more marriages than pornography. It's destroying more lives than just about any other thing in our culture. People who are in bondage to debt live miserable, slave-like lives compared to those who do not have debt and get to work to produce things that they care about rather than to produce things to pay off someone they don't care about. Somebody say amen. Next week. Don't miss next week. And then generosity. And there's a letter B. I don't know why, but B here for week four uh, as we talk about generosity. That's so weird. That wasn't there before I looked at it. So anyway, good. Um, so when we talked about the stewardship of time, we broke it down into 24 hours. We had like a piano keyboard that had yellow and orange and green and all sorts of things on it. So we're going to do the same thing with our finances. And because I don't know what you make and you don't know what I make, although if you call the office, they'll tell you because it's not a secret. I'm proud of it. Um, but I, if, because I don't know what you make, I just took the census report that said the average family household income in Fenton is about $50,000. Some are like, man, I wish I was average. You know, some are like, I, I, you know, that was a long time ago. Um, so that's what we did. We just laid out $50,000, 20 individual $2,500 slots. And as we budgeted, as we looked at the schedule, we prioritized our time, we're going to get the same thing, the priorities of time. Now, before we get to this, I need to teach you something so the rest of this makes sense. When Jesus is trying to tell us in a, a natural law dictated state, what I mean by that is this. When he's trying to tell people that understand gravity is every time I drop this, it falls at a predictable rate. This falls, a bowling ball falls, a golf ball, a big rock, a small rock, it all falls at the same rate. There's a law called gravity. It is one of the natural laws that, that we have no control over. It's the environment in which the, that we were placed. The Garden of Eden had these laws. You know, New York has these laws. Schenectady has these laws. The poor, the rich, uh, the old, the young, the same laws. The physical laws of nature and physics and electro, uh, electromagnetic fields and, you know, powerful nuclear and mild nuclear power. The things that are unchangeable, God laws, natural laws. Make sense? So when Jesus tries to teach us about the kingdom of God, he's teaching us about a kingdom that does not respect or obey natural law. Okay? And so how do you tell somebody without using words like magic, <laughs> sorcery, <laughs> you know, with, how, how do you explain supernatural without, without kind of freaking everybody out? So what he does is he goes to the one thing that makes perfect sense, that when I put this in, I normally get this back. I put a quarter in, I get a candy bar out. I put a nickel in, I get a gumball out. That's how old I am. I, I'm sorry. You put $4 in, you get a gumball out anymore. But back in the day, it was a nickel, you got a gumball, a quarter, you got a candy bar. And, and in, in that kind of world, he's going to now explain is there's something that doesn't behave like the natural world, and that is a seed. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, the closest thing that he can get us to relate to is the seed. The seed is different than the dollar. The seed is different than the apple. The seed is different than the cow, the sheep, the goat. In, in that it, it, it literally goes into a process where it goes, disappears, is covered, dies, becomes something else, and that something else produces a multitude of what was planted. That process, he says, is like the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. The word of God is like a seed. Some sown among you know, thorns, some sown among rocks. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I mean, you see what I'm saying? When Jesus is trying to describe the supernatural kingdom of God, 
God, he draws the one thing in the natural world that has some relatability that a peasant or, or a king could understand. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed. You still here? Okay. So when he talks about seed faith and, and a mustard seed being very small but becomes this massive thing, what he's doing is saying this. In the natural world, one plus one equals what? Two. But in the supernatural world, one plus God equals what? <laughs> like, like whatever God wants it to be, right? Natural laws. The surface tension of water is adequate. The molecular structure and how close the molecules are produce. But when Jesus walks on water, God says, aren't the natural laws cute? Aren't they precious? Aren't they sweet? How many of you guys know God is not subject to the laws he's created? He's actually over the natural laws. And he can say, the natural laws I created say the density of water and the surface tension created by the density is not adequate to support weight. However, I say, walk on water. Have a good time, right? Now, how many of you guys ever walked on water? Okay, there's a special realm we'll counsel you later on. But Jesus walked on water. Peter, for a short time, walked on water. Why? Because God is showing us there's a natural set of laws, hear me, and there's a supernatural set of laws. So when he talks about faith, he's opening our hearts and our minds and our eyes to Jim plus God equals anything God wants it to be. A, a loaf of bread plus Jesus equals a feast if Jesus wants it. Or it could just be lunch. A fish or a handful of fish can be just a handful of fish, but fish plus Jesus equals anything Jesus wants it to be. And thousands are fed by a handful of simple ingredients when they're in the hands of God Anything plus Jesus equals whatever Jesus wants it to be. Are you guys getting this? So we're going to talk today about a kingdom perspective of time we've already talked about. doesn't make any sense why well, one day out of seven I rest, and yet I'm more productive in the other six than I would if I worked eight. That doesn't make sense. How does that work? We don't know, but we've observed it even in the natural sense of people who rest at the right time, work at the right time, recreate at the right time, honor God in the right time, live very different, more blessed, blessed-er, blessedest lives than those who don't, right? So he talks about being a seed. Now, Paul is going to take the kingdom of God mentality. Now, we're not talking about seeds. We're not talking just about faith. We're applying faith in a specific area, uh, and that is our resource, the things that God puts within our stewardship. So the clothes on your back, the car you drove here today, the gas in the tank, the paycheck you're going to get next week, um, all these things, talents, we're going to do the same thing we do with time and then resource and then talents, like the stewardship of these things. So Paul does the same thing with money when he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6, open up your electronic Bibles to this page right here. It says this, remember this, whoever sows a little bit, now what's he saying? Whoever sows this amount is going to get a return that is subject to the amount sown. This makes sense, right? They're also going to reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now let me ask you a question. He's talking about faith, but he's also talking about seeds. Does it or does it not make sense that if our garden is the size of this room, and we plant it thoroughly with seed, we can expect a harvest that is proportional to the amount of seed and the amount of land cultivated and, and sown. Okay, now if it's the size of this platform, so you know, roughly 15% of the size of the room, and we, we plow this, we cultivate this, we plant this, is it or is it not logical to assume that which is sown and the ground that was cultivated, it will be proportional to that as well? Okay, so he's, he's making a point here about generosity. Follow me. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. And can I add a few things? Not because of greed, not because of fear, not because of false promises by false teachers, 
Not because of strange prophetic, if you give $10 today, God's going to bless it and give you $1,000 back. If that's true, then you give me $10, God will give you the $1,000, you quit begging for money in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry, that might have been a myth, but that's a myth. I think nothing has brought the evangelical church into despair and the teachings on the kingdom of God than the wrong teachings on money. I am tired of it. It is agonizingly painful to try to describe to somebody the kingdom of heaven because they always think I want their money. There are principles in agriculture. There are principles in the kingdom. There are principles in generosity that work. Do you see this? Say amen. All right. So um, God loves a cheerful giver. He'll take money from a grouch. But how many of you guys don't want to be the grouch, right? And God is able to bless you. Now look what he says. Abundantly. So that look at the multiplied ways he tries to emphasize this. So that in all things... At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. How many of you know he's not just talking about money anymore? He's talking about a systemic change of what is going on around you in your world. He's saying this. The same way faith is very small becomes something very large, generosity can be something very small that becomes very large. Dina just, unbeknownst to me, gave me that, that illustration, a little girl that, that saved up her money because of a seed, a seed you sowed last year. A little girl has been touched by generosity and now wants to buy a turkey for somebody else in need. Can I suggest to you that will not be the last time that little girl does something like that? Because she's, she's benefited from your generosity. She's now benefited from being generous. And once you benefit from being generous, it can kind of become a habit. It feels good to give. A little kid on Christmas morning, the magic of opening all that shiny paper and opening all those boxes, the mom and dad who worked overtime stayed up all night because some assembly was required. The Chinese lie that divides more families on December 24th than any other Chinese lie, Right? But when they open up those gifts and their eyes light up, here's the question. Who's more blessed, little Billy or mommy and daddy? Because it's more blessed to, than it is to, you're getting it. And you know it's true, right? Now, he supplies seed for the sower. That's one type of provision. And bread for food, that's another type of provision. will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, that which is right, doing things the right way uh, at the right time with the right stuff. You will be enriched in everywhere. There's that the universal language again, that all-encompassing every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in Thanksgiving celebrations with turkeys, Thanksgiving to God. Amen? So in order to see the stewardship and the priority of resource the right way, we really have to take our dollars and convert them into these. Now, you may like corn. I like sunflowers. When you preach the sermon, put corn up there. But it's sunflowers. Sunflowers are yummy. They fit on my keto-friendly diet, and, uh, and you're like, what diet? Look at you. Stop it. Stop judging. Don't judge. Okay? So dollars became seeds. So using Paul's words, we're going to plant some seeds. Here's our $50,000, our 20 sections of $2,500, and it's time now to be think agriculturally or think kingdom-wise. It's not time to think, I want that, and I can afford the payments. It's not time to think, you know, I, I covetous thoughts, and I got to buy things I don't need to impress people I don't like with money I don't have. That's the whole credit card industry. It's getting you to believe you need something you don't need to impress people who don't care about you. You drive up in your $50,000, dollars $70,000 car at the stoplight. You look over, and they're looking at you like, hey, you'll never see the person again. They're probably hating you because you're driving a nice car anyway. And your BMW and your Mercedes and your Cadillac. Believe me, sometimes they don't look at you like, oh, they're like, you're the 1% that's holding me down. You're the man. How many of you guys want to be the man? Anyway, let's move on. All right. 
So you're a farmer, you've just harvested your crop, you're a carpenter, you just got the last draw, you're a salesperson, you just got the commission check, you're a housewife, and, and you just got the resource you know, that, that comes into your hands, it's in your hands now. If you're going to plant seeds, if you're thinking agriculturally according to faith, where's the first place, remember our time, I'll give you a hint, where's the first place you want to make sure you honor? Now, let me tell you what you just did. Everybody knows it's true, but you notice how unenthusiastic that was? Who's the first one to honor? God. <laughs> you should have put the word O oh in front of it. Oh, you know? But let me show you why this is a big deal. So we're going to put God up there first because I believe that is true. But I'm going to tell you why it's true. It's not just true because I'm religious and you're in church and everybody's got to say the right thing. There's a reason why we put God first in our time, in our talent, and in our resources. Think of it this way. When we give to God, it is a, an act of faith. When we give God the Sabbath, it's an act of, when we give God our talents, even though we don't know what we're doing yet, but we know we're good at it, it's an act of the first time you, you preach at your church, the first time you start that business, the first time you knock on that door, it is an act of God loves it when we don't know what we're doing, but we know we need him. Matter of fact, let me say this. If you're walking in faith and you don't occasionally feel like it's all out of control, I'm not sure you're walking in faith. Now, I got this. I've done this. I'm really good at this. Okay, that's not faith. That's experience. Faith is ready, fire, aim. <laughs> it's a really different way to live. <laughs> when you work in the realm of faith, now I'm giving to God in faith. What I'm doing is I'm activating I'm, act, I'm putting something from a natural world into a kingdom dynamic. I'm taking natural money. I can buy a natural cup of coffee. I can pay my natural mortgage. I can, I can feed my natural neighbor. But when I do something according to faith, it lives under a different set of rules. There are paradigms that govern what we do. A kingdom set of paradigms, an earthly set of paradigms. Gravity, no gravity, walking on water, drowning, all of these things. Please hear me. When we take money and we do anything with it by faith, it enters into a different covenant than the rest of our stuff. That's one of the reasons why God should be up there at the beginning, right? We give God what's first and we give God what's best. Same thing with our time. What's the best two hours? What's the best 30 minutes? What's the best time you can spend with God? Spend that time with God. That time produces fruit that goes the span of the rest of the 24 hours. Same thing's true here, man. So, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He's first. The first fruits. Every time there is a harvest, and hey, man, the first apples are in. You pick those first red apples. Hey, the first pomegranates. Hey, the first grapes are in. God said, listen, when the first stuff comes in, bring that to me. Why? Because if you honor God with what's first, God will bless what's, right? So, Firstborn, Exodus chapter 22, verse 29. There was a special deal God had with families. The name would be passed on. The generational blessings would be passed on. The inheritance would be given to the firstborn. He said, listen, when you have a firstborn male child, bring that male child into the temple because in that place, you have something for him, but you have to give it to me by faith so that I can bless everything that comes through this child. Does that make sense? You guys still getting this? All right? The first city, when under the leadership of Joshua, Moses is dead. Joshua takes over Israel. They go across the Jordan River. They totally kick Jericho's butt. But God says this. This is the first city, and it's a prosperous city. It's full of gold. It's full of wealth. It's full of cattle and sheep. And I mean, how many of you guys know you've been eating manna? A sheep looks pretty good. You ever been on a missions trip, and you can't wait to get something? I haven't eaten a cheeseburger in two weeks. You come back to the Mexico City airport, and you see a, a Chili's. How many of you guys know Chili's is like, there's no other place to eat. I'll eat a Chili's. 
But when you've been in Mexico City eating beans and tortillas and rice and stuff that went, meh, yesterday it's going, meh, last night, and then it's on your plate today. Like chilies, it's like bacon. Thank God for bacon, which is not a kosher prayer, but I, I know what I mean when I say it. So he gives them the first city, but they haven't won a second city. But the first city, he says, give me the first city. Destroy everything. Don't keep any of it. And what it is, how many guys know that every time God blesses us with something, it is a trust, and in some ways it's a test. Is, is this more important than me? And one poor cat named Aiken said, this is more important than you, and he stole himself. Thought it was just between him and God? It wasn't. When we get to the city of Ai, bad things happen because God said, I'm not with you because there's sin in your camp. And the sin was, was not that you, you did something and the whole nation did something wrong, but one of you said, this is more important than God. I can't. Hear me. If God were to say to you, God cannot bless anything you raise above him, it would be wrong to bless something that is cursing you. God's too good to bless what is a curse to you. So in this sense, the first city belonged to the Lord. And then Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, out of the mouth of Jesus himself, the good teacher, hear me, seek first, what, his kingdom and his, and then all this other stuff. What's the other stuff he's talking about? He said, don't worry about how you eat and what you wear, what you drink, where you're going to stay. Don't, don't think middle-class American dream. Think kingdom. It's much broader. It's much bigger. It's much more adventurous. It takes a lot more faith. But, but when you plant these seeds in faith, good things happen. So we give what's first. We give what's best to God. Um, I want to say something to you, and I'm going to say it very carefully. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there seems to be a standard of giving that is suggested. It's, command, it's suggested in, before the law. It's commanded in the law. It's modeled in the New Testament after the law. And that is the, the concept of tithing, taking 10% of all increase and giving it to the Lord. Now, I'm going to say this. I, I have not taught tithing um, because I, I have found in a lot of its teaching the same legal speech of the Old Testament being taught in the New Covenant, and I don't agree with that. I believe that if I'm in Jesus, I am blessed. Somebody say amen. So if you don't give 10%, you're cursed. Let me ask you this. If you give 9.9%, are you cursed? Oh, yeah, your whole thing's under a curse because you didn't. Here's what you have to understand. The Old Testament laws raised a minimum standard to keep God's people blessed and safe. But in the New Testament, the law is replaced by the law of love. So, and here's the difference. Oh, good, I'm off the hook. Just keep listening. I pay my taxes because I have to. I really try hard not to. But boy, are they good at collecting them and finding out what I owe. Anybody else have that testimony as well? How many of you know what the, the, the word Satan in the, the original Hebrew is Urz, spelled I-R-S? You may not know that, but I, I just made that up. And they're, they're probably listening right now. I usually put tinfoil over my head when I talk about it so they can't hear my thoughts, but I, I forgot my tinfoil this morning. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I don't give more to the federal government than I have to. It's a legal thing that taxes me. The speed limit coming here today. I only live a mile down the road. There's a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. I don't remember what my speed was coming down here. It probably exceeded 35 miles an hour. You know why? Because you can go 44 miles an hour before anybody pulls you over. So when law is what we're looking at, we ask one of two questions. What's the most I can do before I get a ticket? What's the least I can do before ERS gets a hold of me? Right? But when love is involved, do we ask, what's the most, what's the least, before I get in trouble? What do we ask? We don't say, what do I have to do? We say, what's needed to be done? If it's your kid, it's different. 
How many guys, like, your kid needs to go to college? You just know. They just need to go to college. You can't afford to send them to college. Most of us didn't save to you know, send our kids debt-free to Yale, but the kid wants to go to OCC or GCC or CCC or, you know what I mean? And, and they, they want to get that education. You want them to get that education. You will spend money you don't have because you love your kid, not because you love college. You'll pay your taxes, not because you love the government, because, you know, them being raised without a father because you're in prison would be hard on them. We do out of love what we would never do because of law. I never ask, what's the least my wife needs before I'll be in trouble? I never ask, what's the most I can get away with before she catches me? That would be unloving. Does this make sense? So this is why I haven't taught 10%, you know, plus the extra with the, with the, and this is my, and if you don't, you're cursed, because I don't believe you are cursed, but I do believe this. I do believe that when we activate faith, we do it based on something. And when you look at Scripture, before there was a law of tithing, Abraham gave a tenth of all the plunder under a priest named Melchizedek, who was the priest of Salem, that later was called Jerusalem, on which Jesus died on a cross. There, there, there is a, there's a lineage of faith. When, when Moses says 10% belongs to the Lord, that's because they were providing for a priesthood and a temple. Now, we are all kings and priests under the Lord, according to the book of Revelation, but there is still a temple to be paid for. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about people. Like, for us to take care of people the way Jesus wants his community to be generous, we need to make some decisions up front about what belongs to God. So I'm telling you, the best thing and the first thing that you can do is to remember what God's thinking about and remember it too. Honor God so you pass the test, so that you obey the trust. Honor God so that, so that you, you know that you know you've sown into a field that he wants you to sow. He said, how much should I sow? In some ways, the answer is, how much do you want to reap? But I'm, I'm a little nervous about that one because we can inspire greed. But I say this, Paul has told us, don't give begrudgingly or compulsively. Oh, okay, here's my God tax, or compulsively. Oh, if I give today, I get a hundredfold thing because prophet so-and-so said so. Give because your father's generous, and when you grow up, you want to be just like him. How much should I give? Whatever God has put in your heart to give. Now, here's the scary part, because I long for the days of 10%. <laughs> because God's put other things in my heart because he gave me a generous wife, and I'm just trying to keep up. Can I get a witness? But literally, the offering we gave that was over and above just the other day, can I tell you that unexpectedly, more than double has already come in? I'm not saying, so you should have given that last one, so you'd be blessed like I am. I'm just saying this. God's really good at this agriculture thing unexpectedly, from nowhere, because of something that wasn't supposed to happen, we got a check for more than double what we put in that offering. I am more excited about the next offering than I was about the last offering. And, and I'm not saying because I, I'm going to double it again, so God has to. I, I'm not saying that. Paul is, but I'm not. I'm very carefully saying to you, listen, we should give because love demands some sort of verb be attached to the noun of our love. You still here? Good, because i got six minutes left. And, and let me say this too. I used to say, well, then if just give 1%. Guess what? Just give 3%. And if you gave 3% this year, challenge yourself to give 4%. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to say this year if we ever get around to a message on this. Well, you're on a message right now, but I mean specifically on this. I, I would just say this. Um, I'm not going to rescue you from hard decisions that only you and God should be wrestling with. I'm not going to tell you what to give. I'm not going to tell you what not to give because it isn't between me and you. When it's all said and done, what you do with your time, what you do with your talents, what you do with your resources is not between me and you. I can motivate. I can lead towards. I can sit in a chair that looks shaky by face so you can see that people can sit down on things and it can bear the weight and we can move to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and you can follow me as I follow Christ, but I'm not going to make decisions for you because if you choose to be generous because Jim Wiegand told you to, there is less of a reward in that than if God himself speaks to you. I want you to hear God's voice. I think God wants to give nothing. I'm not sure if you're hearing God. 
I think God wants to give everything. I'm not sure if you're hearing God. There are instances in Scripture that would say both. But, but it is a rare occurrence where he says everything or nothing when it comes to this. But I do think Paul says, you know, I, in giving there's this tradition, there's this ongoing and monthly and store it up so that when I come, boom. Like, there, it makes sense to be a consistent, regular giver. It's, it makes sense to challenge yourself because if this becomes normal and I don't feel anything anymore, it's just another bill I pay automatically, then you should challenge yourself to a different level. You ready? Fire! Aim. That's what faith looks like. So I want you to wrestle with it. I used to make it easy on you. I've learned that it's not good for you for me to break the shell so the bird can come out. It's not good for you if I open up the opening to the cocoon so the worm can come out as a butterfly. Literally all throughout nature, every time we try to help nature along, we actually hurt it. Have you ever seen that in land management? Then we, we need to save the cattle so we kill the wolves. Then we bring in the wolves and we got to save the cattle and it's like, you just want more money. I, if you're an agriculturalist, I don't mean that much. But I do mean it quite a bit, okay, in my little category there. What I'm simply saying is this. If you don't wrestle with God, then you're operating on my faith. My faith is not the base from which you should be operating. If you have a promise, if you have a revelation, if you have a word, you'll live very differently than religiously obeying what my revelations have been. Every generation needs its own revelation of who God is, what God has, what God wants, and what you're supposed to do about it. Do not impose your religious regulations based on your revelation on the next generation in such a way that they don't get exposed to the revelation. The regulation is what, is what it's about. The, the revelation and the revelator is who they're supposed to be seeking. So yeah, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with girls that do. Great, great rules for any parent. Don't date a demon, don't, you know what I mean? That's, that's all wonderful. I met my, my dream man, daddy, his name's Snake. It's like, ouch, out. You know, some of these girls bring home boys, it's like, pull, all right, here we go. I mean, just a thought. Feels good to me. I have a granddaughter now, just dedicated to the Lord. Your grandsons better be straight up. Man, I'm telling you, I'll shoot them all. Amen. God bless you. So the first place, first place we're going to go is to God. After we shoot your children, first place we're going to go is to God. Live by faith. Second place, I'd, I'd really, you know, there it is. There's our, there's our two out of 20, right? There's our 10%. I put it in there because whatever, you know. The next place we should go, though, is we should go to our savings. He said, Jim, I haven't paid a bill yet. Urs is after me. I've got, I've got my master, and I've got my master card, and they, they kind of mimic each other. Like, what am I supposed to do? Savings. Now, now, consider this, right? Remember, giving to God had to do with faith. Savings has to do with wisdom. Faith and wisdom do this a lot. And, and it's only because you're supposed to choose many times this one or this one. They're in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, in the, in, in the, the middle of a boat, and everything their daddy's, 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 daddy said, if that boat tips over in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, hold on to the what? The boat. Don't try to swim for sure. The boat floats, even when it's upside down. Hold on to the boat. Sunlight will come. You'll get rescued, but don't let go of the boat. Jesus shows up walking on water in the middle of the night, middle of the storm, middle of the lake, and he says what? Get out of the boat. <laughs> right? That's faith. Peter has faith, he gets out of the boat. The other 11 are not in sin, they're actually being wise. Oh, they, they, they didn't have much faith. They had no faith, that's why they stayed in the boat. But they had wisdom. Wisdom is not the dull, mully-grubbing, you know, individual in the corner in heaven going, well, you know, somebody's got to be wise around here. Wisdom is the party child of heaven. God laid the foundations of the earth by wisdom. Solomon refers to wisdom as her. He personifies it. It's beautiful, right? So we gave according to faith, but we're going to save according to wisdom. Which one should I have, faith or wisdom? And the answer is yes. Like you live by faith with no wisdom, you live by wisdom with no faith, you're just 
I can't help you, right? So with this, we're going to create wealth. Um, the ant in Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon goes, look at the ant. He's got nobody commanding him. There's no, like, king ant with a, you know, with a, a whip driving along, but they store up. Look how wise God made ants. What's he saying? Everybody be like an ant. Work hard and store things up. He talks about a good man, a righteous man, will leave an inheritance for his children's children. And, and he talks about in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, he says, the wise store up choice foods and olive oil, but fools, they gulp it down. In other words, can I say this? He says this, when paychecks come in, wise people store things up, but fools live paycheck to paycheck. That was a mumble, right? I get it. So if we're going to do this again, what percentage on our chart do you think is a wise? Remember, this isn't your finances. This is somebody else's. We're, we're teaching our children. Can we just do it from that? We're, we're teaching our children with their first paycheck what to do. So this isn't you yet because I realize some of you aren't starting from zero. We're starting from negative numbers and debt and bad things and poverty and sickness. And so hear me. This is for somebody else that we really want to learn this. So what percentage would you teach your children to save? We gave 10-ish percent to God. What, what are you going to tell them to save? Wow, really? Nobody? Let me try it again. It's your kid. You love your kid. How much would you tell them to save? Yeah, I put another 10 down there, you know. I don't like my kids that much. I, I think they're important, but I, I, we need, you know, 10%. They're living. They're trying to make it, right? So, yeah, but a certain percent belongs there, right? Remember, these two things have to come first. Why? Because faith and wisdom are the vehicles God uses to bless his people, did you hear what I just said? If you don't start with faith and wisdom, then from what platform are you beginning this journey? Covetousness and greed? Insecurity and fear? Poverty and lack? Like, if we don't start from where God starts on the equation, we cannot end up with the equal signs that equals what he wants. So hear me. These things have to come first because God's principles, God's kingdom, God's seeds, God's ways, God's paradigm, these are the vehicles. The other reason is if these don't come first, where will they fit in in your budget? See, I, I, I do this. I, I, I put tithing. and by, by the time I got down here to put in tithing, by the time I got down here to put in savings, I ran out of money. That's because your budget is upside down. It really belongs to the beginning. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things we don't have in our hands yet. They're unseen. Wisdom demands certain choices be made prior to the frivolous things that come our way. I don't know if you know this, but you go to heaven driving a 78 Volkswagen Beetle. You might go to heaven sooner driving a 78 Volkswagen Beetle to get into a car accident, right? So we're going to put that on our graph, right? That's where it belongs. So the, the, the last thing is this. What comes third is just eating. Pastor Kyle, join me if you would. And what I mean by eat is this is just life. This is bills. This is rent. This is vacations, this is Mickey Mouse, this is Cottage Up North, this is whatever. But understand this, we've got the power of faith working, we've got the power of wisdom working, there's a third power that you have to have within you, and that's contentment. Because if it's not enough, you'll go after faith that isn't really faith, it's manipulated lies. If you don't have enough, if you aren't enough without this stuff, you won't act according to wisdom. You'll, you'll buy the $100 course of how to raise a mink in your bathtub in your free time and become a millionaire. Why? Because it, why do we do such foolish things? It's because we're not using wisdom because we're desperate for something that God would bless us with eventually. Listen, if you're not okay living where you're living, if you're not okay driving what you're driving, you're not okay not wearing what you're, if you're not okay, you know, being who you are, no matter what God gives you, the problem probably isn't the stuff that you have. The problem may be the stuff that you are and you think and you're afraid of 
and you see when you look in the mirror that isn't true. Contentment is powerful. We're going to celebrate with this. We're going to enjoy this. We're going to live with this. And it fits into our graph like this, right? So look at that. We've got faith. We've got wisdom. We've got contentment. Um, they're all working together. And with this graph, simply we, we've honored God uh, by faith. We've planted seeds, you know, whatever that means. That means giving money to your brother-in-law, putting it in an offering basket. We've honored God. He's first. Whatever he told us to do and wherever he told us to go, we've done that. Wisdom, we've, we've taken that. We've saved and we have margin in our lives. How many guys would like to have an emergency fund so if there's a $1,000 thing that breaks, you got $1,000 waiting for nothing more than emergencies? It changed my life. When we got our first $1,000 in the bank and we said, this is not bass boat money, this is not vacation money, this is emergency money. Every seven to 10 years, my washing machine dies a horrible, agonizing death, choking on lint and change and guitar picks from my children. And it's just done, it's burned out. And I go to the, the Home Depot circular that I get every week and throw away and fills landfills all over the world. What a blessing. And, uh, but I know Home Depot, they've been advertising to me every day for the last seven to 10 years. I look and I see the one I want. I, which one do you like? I like the silver one. You know, the, the new one's gonna be kind of like, would you want the top loader? Because that seems, but the, the front loader, man, I mean, just, it's, it saves water, baby, and it looks cooler. You know, I, I don't, it, it could be a spaceship, like for our kids. They could spin around and it'd be awesome, you know? And she picks out which one she wants. We go there and we buy it and they deliver it. They take away the old one, they set it up. And you know what changed in my life? Nothing. Because there was a fund set aside for emergencies called an emergency fund. And then I say, God, the emergency fund's empty. Not an emergency to me. Because I cast all my cares on you. You've got an emergency. You should fill this again. Because my wife has a security gland and it's, it's aching right now. And I don't like my wife's security gland to ache, right? So we save for margin. We've made our investments. We've sorted up for our children's children. We have the rainy day fun. Our bills are all paid. Or we live contently on what's left. Now, here's, here's the problem with what I just said for the last 25 minutes. Jim, that's really sweet. What a wonderful world you must live in. That's not my life, man. I don't see daylight until three and a half weeks into my month. Some of you would say, I don't see daylight. Like, I have more days than I have paydays. I go into debt every month. I'm in a crisis or being pinched, or maybe it's just I, I've made bad choices, and now the interest on those bad choices won't leave me alone. Next week, we're going to talk about that, how to get free. I will teach you step-by-step step using Scripture. I will help you to see daylight at the end of the tunnel that for once will not be an oncoming train. It will literally be the daylight that you're going to have to run for. And I'll tell you how. I'll teach you how. The Bible verses to stand on, the promises, the plans, the budgets, all of that is next week. How many guys know you need to be here next week? Some of you care about needs to be here next week. We are, we are living in a day where crises is, is of our own creation. Come on. Let's live life God's way in this area and be free as God would have us to be free. Right? So we've done all this. You say, but that's, that's not my life. So now, now what do I do? Like, yeah, if I had no debt, I'd start doing that, I guess. If I could afford it, I'd do it. The problem is not the teaching. The problem is the resource. So what do I do? This is what you do. You start a journey. Everybody say journey. Jesus, this morning, because he loves you, because he's so good, because what he did is so powerful, he will forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, adopt you into his family, and God himself will be your father. Let me also tell you this. If today your sin is gluttony and you weigh 2,000 pounds, your spirit is saved, you're born again, but you got a long ways to go until you get healthy. Didn't, you didn't put on 2,000 pounds and surpass the sumos in a day, and it won't come off of you because God's going to do some sort of born-again surgery. 
There are spiritual laws that God has complete authority over. There are natural laws that God has complete authority over, but often chooses to allow the natural laws that got us into trouble. Now that we obey the Lord, our testimony of shrinkage, our testimony of debt reduction, our testimony of blessing. When we get done and we say, I'm debt free, we don't say, praise me, everybody. We say, it's a miracle because I know where I started. You get born again today, forgiven of all your sins, including the sin of covetousness, greed, debt, overspending, whatever. You can be forgiven of all those sins. But what you're doing is you're beginning generally a journey. When God sets Israel free from Egypt, he doesn't take them to the promised land via beam me up Scotty. It was a 40-year process of reprogramming slaves to become sons. The God has created everything. Everything. Why has he never created a temple? For himself. Why, why has he never created a wall? around his holy city. God doesn't use men to build things. God uses things to build men. A journey of faith is relational. Enjoy every step. So if, if you are not there, like that's a sermon, sweet, wonderful, really actually ticked me off and made me sick because I'm not there. It must be nice to be you. I'm not even describing my life. I'm teaching an ideal sermon this morning. But I'm saying this, faith. Your journey starts with it. Will you trust God? Would you believe that everything you got yourself into, God can now get you out of? Is he that big? Tell me. Is he that strong? Is he, is he that wise? Okay. Wisdom. Will you trust, uh, will you trust God's ways? It's, it's not just trusting him as a person, which is hugely important, but you've got to trust him as a person, to, and you've got to trust him so much that you do what he told you to do, which may mean cutting out some things. I don't know if you knew this, but, but you know, a $5 a day Starbucks over 30 days, 150 bucks, cable, beverages, eating out. Sometimes we don't have enough money. Sometimes we don't have a goal, and so we don't sacrifice for goals. We could live a much simpler life if there was a good reason to do it. But why? Why, why go on? Congratulations. I weighed 2,000 pounds. I went on a diet. I lost four pounds last week. I only weighed 1,996 pounds. But if you have a vision of being healthy that God placed in your heart, you'll get healthy. The vision that God placed in your heart with, with his promise to help you, you'll get free from debt. Wisdom, will you trust God's ways? And lastly, contentment. Will you satisfy your soul with progress? Everybody say progress. As you move towards perfection. If the answer is no to one or more of those questions, I can't help you. I'm not going to trust God. I can't help you. I'm going to trust God, but not do a thing he told me to do. I can't help you. I'm going to trust God, do what he told me to do, but if he doesn't do it by tomorrow, I quit. I can't help you. Do you see what I'm saying? So let's do this right now. Nobody leave, but everybody stand. Do that two minutes, I'm going to let you go. Right on time at 10.15, I'm going to let you go. Our one hour and 15-minute service, as it has become. Remember the one hour and 45-minute days, though. Isn't this good? Aren't you blessed? Amen. If you won't trust him or can't, if you won't do it or believe you can't, if you won't find that place in your heart to celebrate the progress, and there's nothing I'm going to say to you that will help you but this. If you don't turn it around, if you don't begin to trust him, if you don't begin to trust his ways, if you don't begin to find contentment as God's progress becomes that which satisfies until God's perfection is what you own, then where is your life heading? And at some point, you'll find yourself so enslaved to bad, faithless, foolish decisions no one ever said, I was so broke that my marriage got better. 
Nowhere and said, I was so far in debt, I finished my master's degree. No one ever said, I was so broke that I just had nothing but the goodness of God to celebrate in my life. Literally, unwise stewardship leads to other decisions. The number one cause, according to divorce lawyers polled in the United States, you can finish my sentence right now, can't you? The number one argument couples have whose marriages are being destroyed is not about sexuality. It's not about politics. It's not about what church to go to. It's not about who's the spiritual leader. It's about this one solitary issue. I don't have enough, and I don't trust you to provide enough. I don't have enough. It's because you spend too much. You hear what I'm saying? If we thought this was going to be some light, sweet sermon about debt, then wear a seatbelt and a helmet next week because I'm going to cream, not you, but the thought of debt is good and normal and healthy and be lonely. Yes, lonely. I'm mad at it because it's killing my friend's dreams. I'm mad at it because it's an enemy of God's people. I'm mad at it because it demands worship and allegiance as if it were God himself. And I'm sick of it. And it's time for God's people to be sick of it and get free. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over your children. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's, that's not just a spiritual thing. That's an everyday thing. It's free in our minds, free in our calendars, free in our, our budgets. There's a, there's a promised land that will be taken the same way today as it was taken thousands of years ago. Faith, wisdom, obedience, contentment. So God, I pray today that you would take away false idols, lying gods with a small g, Strip away the stupidity, the foolishness, the vanity. Let us stand before you naked and not be ashamed, just like Adam and Eve did. They owned nothing and watched complete obedience for a season, contentment for a season. I believe that garden is still available for us to live in today, so I pray, God. I'm not saying strip it all away. I'm saying teach us how to not be owned by it so we can celebrate being owned by you. Holy Spirit, come. If you're here today and you're not right with Jesus, I'm telling you the goodness of God extends to every area of your life. I know I've talked about money today, but money is just one of the ways God is, is saying, I love you. Be careful of the world. Like to choose what's right and what's wrong. It's just one of those ways. It's, he is so good. He gives us a tree that has the knowledge of good and evil in it. We can, we can do what we shouldn't do and suffer for it. We, we can do what we should do and be blessed because of it. And everybody in this room has one thing in common. Man, we all ate from the wrong tree at one time or another, didn't we? We've all failed. God sends his son 2,000 years ago. He passes by every tree that he's not supposed to eat of, never eats one thing. And I'm using an analogy, but he never sinned. He never lied, he never stole, he never cheated, never lusted. Like literally, Jesus lives a perfect life, and then he dies an excruciating death because all of my sin, all of my failure, all of my mistakes, all of my disobedience, and, and the punishment that a righteous God had to dole out to someone somewhere fell upon solitary body of his son Jesus Christ on a cross and when Jesus died my sin and your sin and anyone who will choose to believe was completely paid for the last word Jesus says is tatalestai it is finished a little translation in today's culture would be paid in full it's done Nothing else will need to be done. Nothing else will be done. Nothing else has to be done. It's paid. Now, do you want to be free? Step out of the cell. 
You want to be free, step out of the jail. You want to be free, step out of darkness. You want to be free, step out of ignorance. You want to be free, step out of disobedience, into the light, into Jesus, and you and your household will be saved. So God, today, there's anybody here that needs to say yes. I know we talked about money, but I'm talking about life and death now. God, if there's anybody here that needs to say yes, Holy Spirit, let them from their heart, from their mouth, from their lips now say yes. Yes to you. You're here right now and you need God to forgive you of anything. You're not right with him and you know it. You don't need to crawl across the nation on broken glass. You just need to look into the one who died for you and said it's finished. And are you ready? And just say yes. Yes. Bless us and keep us, God. Bless us and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Altar workers are moving forward. If there's anything that you need prayer for before you go, stop in. There is a guest reception today right in that back room in the corner. If you're new to the Freedom Center, you'd like to meet some of the staff, hear a little bit more about the church, it's right there waiting for you. Outside, sign up for the harvest party. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the big pumpkin fest bash thing. And uh, go. You're blessed. You're dismissed. Go get them. We'll see you soon.